so thankful for the opportunity that we have to get to gather in a place like this. And uh, I never want to take this for granted, never want to take this lightly, but what an honor it is uh, to be able to gather in this place like this and gather around uh, the word. And so, look, this, this is what we're here, man. We're here to lift up Jesus. It's, it's not about a person. It's not about a personality, uh, but it's about the person of Jesus. And so I'm so thankful that we get uh, to do that. And, again, if this is your first time with us or second or third time with us, uh, we're really excited that you chose to come and hang with us today. We know uh, you could have been anywhere else in the world, uh, but you chose to come hang with us. And uh, we appreciate that. Uh, this morning. And I'm excited to jump into what we're going to talk about today. So the last few weeks, uh, we've been in a collection called I Love My City. And so what we do around here, we kind of go through what we call collections, or you may hear sermon series or message series. It's all the same. Uh, We just call it collection, just try to make something up, and it doesn't mean anything more special than anything else. Uh, But we kind of track through the calendar uh, like that, and typically a collection is about four to five uh, weeks. Um, But I love my city is four weeks. And so here we are. We're kind of, this is a standalone conversation. Uh, Next week, we're actually going to begin a new collection called In This House. And uh, the idea behind that is like when you're growing up, you know, maybe you had, you know, a parent or someone that said, hey, in this house, this is how we act. In this house, this is how we behave. I mean that positively, okay? Uh, And so we're going to kick that off next week of basically saying like, yo, in this house, like this is what the Becoming Church is about. This is where we're going. This is what we're pursuing. And so we're actually going to have a conversation uh, next week called In This House, We Believe in the church. Amen. So I want to invite you to be a part of that and come on, uh, invite uh, some family, some friends, invite some people that you are like, yo, you might need to hear this. And uh, I think it's going to be a good time. But today we're in a standalone uh, conversation and we're going to be coming from Jonah. When the last time you, you heard that on a Sunday morning coming from Jonah, but we're going to be coming from Jonah chapter one. I'm going to read verses uh, one through three through three. So you can flip with me there or scroll with me there, or you can track along with the screen here. And here is what it says in verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. We're going to go with that. Go to the great, I, I say it differently every time I read it. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Come on, let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. God, thank you for your presence today. Man, it's just been so sweet in here this morning. And God, we just pray that that continues, and we know it will because we've invited you here, and we welcome you in this place. Lord, give us eyes to see what it is that you're showing us. Give us ears to hear what it is that you're speaking to us. And so with that being said, we say this, speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Everybody said? Amen. 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 Family, some of the best education isn't necessarily what you can read in a book. Would you agree with that? But some of the best education 
is what you observe right in front of you. Meaning, some things are not necessarily taught, but some things are caught. Here's what I mean. Maybe you have an older sibling or a cousin or somebody, and you're younger than them, and you had the vantage point of watching some of the mistakes they did, and you said, I don't want no parts of that. Because I saw this decision that you made in the outcome of that decision. So they didn't teach me not to do that. I caught not to do that. Some of the best education is not necessarily taught, but it's caught. It's not necessarily found in a book, but it's observed. Or maybe it's that coworker that said, you know what? I'm a let management know today. I got time. They gonna get a piece of my mind. And so that coworker gets up out of that cubicle, makes their way down to management. And about 10 minutes later, you find out they got even more time because they're walking by with their boxes and a few of their belongings and the escort right behind them. Okay, don't go to management like that. They didn't teach you that, but you observed that. Some lessons are caught, not taught. You know, the Bible contains all types of narratives, all types of stories. And they're not there to necessarily just make us feel good or to be something that we can shout about. But they, they, they really lay out a blueprint for living, a blueprint for living a holy life. And there are stories that we can really pull observations from. And the truth is, we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't take that opportunity to look at the stories of the Bible and see how does this apply to my life? What truth can I learn from this story? Now, as I say that, there are different things in the Bible that are labeled as uh, descriptive and prescriptive. So meaning, so for example, you got David and Goliath. That is descriptive, right? He takes his uh, stones and his sling and slays the giant. The Bible's not prescribing for you to go to management with some stones and a sling. It's telling you, it's describing to you what happened. Now, when Jesus says, hey, the greatest of these, right, love God and love people, he's prescribing a way of life. This is how we should live, right? So we can't mix up descriptive and prescriptive. The Bible describes some things like, hey, we're literally just describing to you what happened. But then there are moments where it's prescribing a way of living, whether you think about the Beatitudes or whatever. It's prescribing a way of life. Now, no matter if it's descriptive or prescriptive, we can still extract some truth from it. We can still pull some observations from it and say, how does this speak to my life? How, how does this apply to my life? How can I actively walk this out? And so today, we're going to be doing that using the story of Jonah. How can we look at Jonah's life and Jonah's decisions and see how does that apply to our lives? What are some truths we can pull from it? So if you're taking notes today, you can title this, Check Your Life. Somebody say, Check Your Life. I wish I had that T.D. Jake's voice. I like, Check Your Life, Check Your Life, Check Your Life. I can't, 
I can't do that. <laughs> In the Old Testament, the Lord spoke to individuals uh, to communicate his word uh, to his people. And these people were known, these individuals were known as prophets. So basically the Lord would speak to the prophet and this person would go take the word of the Lord to the people. So you see that like Moses, for example, he met with the Lord. He delivered the word of the Lord to people. This is how the Lord uh, spoke to people uh, in the Old Testament. Now today, that's not the case for us, right? We have access to him. That We speak and, and he speaks to us. We can hear the voice of God for ourselves. So you don't have to go to the, to, the, to the man of God, if you will, to hear the word of the Lord for your life. It is available to you. We had a collection a couple months ago called Hearing God. And the basis of that was to understand this, that we are sheep. Yes, we are. And Jesus is the shepherd, and the sheep know his voice, and they respond to his voice when he speaks, and, and we come running after him. So we can hear the voice of God today. So um, we don't need the prophet, if you will, in the way that they acted in the Old Testament. But in the Bible, you'll find major prophets and minor prophets. Now, they're not called major or minor prophets because one was more inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen the writing more than the other, but it was basically on this idea, well, their writing had more of an overall world impact or world perspective compared to someone else. So, for example, if you look at the book of Isaiah, his writings foretell the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's a pretty big deal, right? He's a major prophet. Whereas you look at someone like Jonah, who his writing is way more, uh, has a narrow focus. So he's a minor prophet. So when it comes to Jonah, he gets this call from God to go to Nineveh to announce the coming judgment on the city that God is about to bring. Now, just to give you a little bit about Nineveh, Nineveh was a very significant city. It was the capital of Assyria. It had a population of about a million people. Uh, they had these 100-foot walls built up surrounding it. Um, you can liken it to Las Vegas today. It was the Las Vegas of its time. All kind of things were happening in this city, hence the Lord bringing his judgment on it. Now, the problem for Jonah was that Nineveh was the greatest enemy of Israel. Now, this is where Jonah often gets a bad rap because he runs away. The Lord's like, yo, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to them, and he runs away. So that's all we kind of talk about is like, yo, Jonah ran away. Jonah ran away from the Lord. Don't you be a Jonah. You need to respond to the call of God on your life, right? We always mention Jonah in that. Now, it's all true, right? So I'm not about to dispel that. It's obviously all true. But Jonah was patriotic towards his country. He's like, yo. How do you want me to go preach to these guys? They literally hate me, hate everything about our country. He did not want to go there. So Jonah just loved his country. I feel like that part is often left out. I'm trying to help Jonah out this morning. <laughs> but the reality is, though, Jonah had been called to go preach to Nineveh. And this by itself would preach on his own. How often does God call us to do things that we don't want to do? Right? How often does he say, look, I'm pulling you out of your comfort zone, but that's not the message today. But he has to go preach to Nineveh. So he finds himself in this predicament. He's got a decision to make. And many of us in here, we know that decision. We know that Jonah, he, he ran from what he needed to do. And so what I want us to do is to pull some observations 
from this story and see how we can apply them to our lives. And that first observation uh, that we're going to make this morning is called, is this, check your walk. So if you're writing, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Check your walk. Meaning this, how you walk life out matters because it affects more than just you. I know that's hard to think. This is a hard thing to fathom. But our lives are not just about us. And the decisions we make, the choices we make, they do not only affect us, but they affect others. Look at Jonah 1.6, where it says this, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Because at this point, the Lord calls a great storm out in the water. So naturally, people are spazzing out. And they see Jonah like, how can you be sleeping this? Right? So Jonah made the decision, but it's affecting other people around him. Because the truth of the matter is, family, we've got to understand that everything is not about us. God's concern is not to make us happy. Do you hear me this morning? His concern is to make us holy. And, and when, when you hear me say his concern is to make us holy, do not take that as, okay, so you mean all the things that I can't do. That is not what holiness is. Holiness is open you up to all the things that you can do, all of what is available because you've made a decision that I am choosing to submit my will for the will of the Lord. I look at it like this. Oftentimes we tell our kids to wait when they want something and they think it's the most devastating thing in the world. Ah, just falling out and all that stuff. But what they don't understand is we've got so much more than what they can think of in this moment for them. How often is that us and God live a holy life, man? So that means all the stuff I can't do. No, you don't understand what he's actually trying to open you up to. That sometimes our focus, our mindset is so narrow and so small that we think we have the mind of the Lord. No, 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 no. He sees what we don't see. He knows what we don't know. So holiness is not what's being taken away from us, but it's what we're being brought to. And part of that process of becoming holy is understanding that there is something bigger at play. But here's the cool thing. God wants to include us. He wants to include you. He wants to involve you with what he's doing throughout the earth, right? The Lord created a tree, but he didn't make the table. Are you tracking with me? So that means we have purpose. That means he wants to include us. That is exactly what purpose is. Purpose is the opportunity God gives us to partner with him in accomplishing his will in the earth. So you are here because you have a purpose. God wants to use you to accomplish his will. That's the opportunity that we have in front of us. So that's why it's so important for the decisions that we make. Because they don't just affect us, but they affect others as well. So with that, you got to understand there's no wasted moment. Like every moment, the good moments, the bad moments, the tough moments, they all serve a purpose. Because ultimately, they may be things that lead you to God's desired state for your life. 
So with God, you got to know that every moment has a purpose. Every day has a purpose. Every pain has a purpose. Every joy has a purpose. Every disappointment has a purpose. Every yes from the Lord has a purpose. Every no from the Lord has a purpose. Every moment has a purpose. That's, that's how we live with this perspective that we don't take an L, but we gained a lesson. Because there's something in that moment that, had, that it taught me something that I didn't know before. And that's giving me wisdom. That's giving me insight to look for a thing the next time I find myself back around there. Are y'all tracking with me? We have purpose. Understand this, that God has given us calling. He's placed a call on our life. And whether you've heard that before or not, I want you to hear this morning, family, that you were called with your background, with the, the, your, your family of origin, with all the decisions you've made, all the decisions you didn't make, you are called. But here's the thing about calling that we got to understand first. We are called to Jesus. So that's our calling. We are called to him. But then he gives us unique ways to express that calling to the world or unique ways to live that calling out. So that's why some of us may be doctors while other of us are lawyers. Some of us may be teachers while other of us are engineers. Some of us may be coaches while others of us are stay-at-home parents, right? So our calling is to Jesus, but he gives us unique ways to express that calling to the world. And here's what that means. We have a responsibility with that expression. We have a responsibility with how we steward what we've been called to express to the world. So no matter how the Lord has called you, your purpose that he's given you is bigger than just you. That's why I like to measure a dream by the impact that it's going to have on others. Because God dreams will always impact more than just you. If it's from the Lord, it's going to bless you, but ultimately it's going to bless other people because it's more, it's about more than just you. So he'll use a Moses, he'll use a Gideon, he'll use whatever, but it's, it's not just about them, but it's about the people on the other side. So this is why it's so important to how we respond to the call. It's so important to how we live this out because us choosing to ignore the call of God, it won't just affect us, but it's going to affect those around you. Why? Because you are an answer to somebody's prayer. Like, hear that. There's somebody somewhere that is praying a prayer right now, and there's something that God has placed in you that you are the answer to that prayer. But if you allow fear, if you allow insecurity, if you allow shame of the past to hold you back, then you can never bring that answer that someone else is praying. So you have to see yourself as an answer and allow God to use you in the ways that he wants to use you. And you say, well, okay, this point is check my walk. So what do I do when I find myself at a decision point. How do I navigate that moment? I think the answer to that is that you got to have values, right? 
Like you look at businesses or you look at church, churches, like they have values. I think individually we need to have values. And our values, of course, should be rooted in the Lord. They should be from a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview. So when you find yourself at a decision point like, God, how do I navigate this? Lord, how do I get through this? You can exclude yourself from the equation by going back to values. How do they honor the Lord? How do they give glory to him? How does this affect those that are around me? And so when we find ourselves there, like, Lord, I don't know what to do in this moment. Go back to your values. Go back to the foundation because they become a guide to help you navigate that decision. Because the decisions we make, they will not just affect us, but they're going to affect others. Here's a story to kind of pull that out. So there's this little girl, she's in the kitchen, and her mom's making a ham. And she notices her mom, like, cuts the end of the ends of the ham off. And she's like, Mom, why you cut the ends of the ham off? And she's like, I don't know. That's why I always saw my mom do it. So she's like, oh, okay. So then she goes to Grandma. Grandma, why you cut the ends of the ham off? And she says, well, I don't know. That's the way my mom always did it. So then the little girl goes to Big Mama's like, Big Mama, why you always cut the ends of the ham off? She said, child, I never had a pot that was big enough to fit the ham, so I just cut <laughs> the ends off. What is the point? The decisions you make today could impact the destiny of others tomorrow. What kind of impact will you have? What kind of impact will your decisions today make? Think about the people behind you. Think about your, ch- your children. Think about your cousins. Think about your nieces. Think about your nephews. What kind of decisions are you making and what kind of impact will they have? So we check our walk because we always want to be moving in the direction of purpose, realizing that how we walk life out affects more than just us, but affects others as well. Here's another observation. Check your circle. Have godly people in your life that are willing to call you up and not out. People so often say, they just need to be called out. No, you just need to be quiet. (laughs) It's not about calling people out, but it's about calling people up. Here's the thing. The person that we could put their picture up on the screen. I'm like, oh, that's not a good person. That person, which I mean, who's good, but you know what I'm saying. But here's the thing. That person you're thinking of, that person that you're like, yo, I can't stand that person. When they come in, you go the other way. Like, that person was created in the image of God. So we can't have this idea that we call people out, but we call people up. So if the way that someone is living, and we need to look at ourselves first, right? But if the way that someone is living is not reflective or is not really represented in a good way, don't speak to the issue, speak to the image. So you've been created in the image of God. So how can I speak to what you have been created in to maybe pull that out of you? So often, and and I get it and I understand, this is not escaping truth. 
But so often people need to feel like the need of like, you do this wrong, you mess this up, you didn't do that, you do, and all it is, we're just pushing shame, pushing all these things down to someone that they're already aware of. And most people stay stuck there because they don't know a way out or they never heard anything different. And so they just take on all of what they constantly hear. You're not going to be this because your mom was this, your dad was this, your cousin was this. We don't do this. We don't make that. We don't graduate this. We don't start that. We don't nothing. Like that's all they hear. But what if you spoke to the image of God in which they were created in? What kind of things could we see poured out of someone? So we don't call people out, but we call them up. In Jonah 1, verses 7 through 10, so they've casted lots at this point. And they didn't, like, cast lots to necessarily be like, oh, this is Jonah. He's the reason. They were casting lots to see who would uh, have the first confession of what could be the issue in their life that has caused the storm. And so, of course, it fell on Jonah. And ultimately, he's like, yo, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord of the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And so... With the people terrified, they ask him, what have you done? Now, I don't believe that question in verse 10, what have you done, was a question of them calling him out. But basically saying like, yo, I think you should be living to a higher standard. You actually know better than this. You actually should have done better than this because of what you know. So I believe they were calling him up. And that's, that's the action of true friends. True friends don't take you away from God, but they push you towards him, right? True friends don't pull you away from the Lord, but they push you towards him. So here's a question to ask. Who are those friends that when you're together, you feel like your life got better? Who are those friends that when you are together, you feel like your life got shorter? Now, I don't say that to be rude, but I say that to help us. Meaning this, could it be that we're giving a relationship the attention and the effort that it should not be getting? Here's the gist of what I'm saying. We have to learn to put people in their place. In other words, we need to be intelligent when it comes to our relationships. Dr. Darius Daniels, he mentions this in a book called Relational Intelligence, that there are categories of relationships that we have, that some people are friends, some people are associates, some people are assignments, while others may be advisors, right? And I think what has happened, we have called people friends who are not our friends. So the statement, put people in their place, is not a statement of, of negativity, but it's a statement that will better your life because sometimes the frustration that we feel is an indication that we've got people in the wrong place. So what happens is someone who is an assignment, someone perhaps that you're supposed to mentor, kind of pour into their life, you're wanting a friendship out of that. But they're not built to give you what a friendship should look like. So then the frustration happens because you reach out like a friend but they don't respond like a friend. Or maybe there's an advisor that is investing in you and mentoring you. And you want a friendship with that advisor. And they're like, no, 
And so frustration comes, well, then I guess they really don't feel this way about me. I guess they really don't believe in me like they say they do. No, it has nothing to do with that. What has happened is we have placed them in the wrong place. Now, once you're in these different categories, it doesn't mean that it stays that way. There's some, um, uh, uh, it's fluid, so they can move across this spectrum. Sometimes a friend and assignment can coexist. Sometimes an advisor can be a friend. Sometimes people are friends in one season and more so associates than others. So here's the thing. If you want to get life right, we have to get relationships right. We have to check our circle. And don't feel the pressure because of longevity that you've got to maintain something that once was in a previous season in life. Because what happens is a lot of times we pray these prayers, Lord, just remove anything from me that does not serve me purpose for where I'm going. That doesn't make sense for where you're taking me. And then you text that friend like, yo, what you up to? And they respond two days later. And then you get upset. And then you keep pushing it. And the Lord's like, you asked me to remove what, look, they were your friend for a season. Y'all had a level of connection for a season. But for where I'm taking you, for what I want to do, that level of connection is different. That doesn't mean you don't pray for them. That doesn't mean you don't believe in them. That doesn't mean you can't text them on their birthday or that is all good when y'all see each other. But the level of connection is different. And so some of us, we feel that frustration because they're not giving us what we want, but they can't give us what we want because we've placed them in a place that they can't be. So we have to check our circle. And the response or the frustration that we feel is basically a result of having people in the wrong place. It's an indication that we need to make some adjustments. We need to have people in our lives that want to elevate us, not deflate us. The people that we do life with should be the ones that elevate us, not deflate us. Ask yourself this question, who are the people that are championing me? Who are the people that champion you? Who are the people that when you experience a win in life, you think to give them a call? Because some people, you experience a win, you like, they can't. You can't call them. Because they're going to try to pick everything. Well, ah, uh, you got to leave that well and the ah uh, over there, right? <laughs> Who are those people that when you weep in life, they weep with you? They don't try to bring a solution, but they are just there. They are just present. And listen, don't dismiss those people. Oftentimes, I've noticed this. People will try to shape their relationships around the people that they feel can get them to a place where they want to be. Meanwhile, they dismiss the people who actually really care for them. They dismiss it because they don't look the part. They don't play the part. They don't wear the shoes. They don't drive the car. They don't live in the house. But they are the people who have your back. And so often we'll fight because we want that look. We want that crowd. We want that circle. Man, they are not thinking about you at all because they're only looking for the next leg up, right? And so we've poured in, we've invested in 
only in a moment to be cut off just like that because you were no longer deemed useful for them and where they needed to go because they got there and you weren't a part of that plan. So don't be afraid to say, oh, well, Lord, this is a friendship that you're developing. This is a relationship that you're developing. Okay, this is different than what I thought, but man, this person seems to be for me. This person seems to to have my best interest. This person seems like when they say I'm praying for you, they're really praying for me. And I'm not talking about having yes people, but I'm talking about those who want to see you become who God has called you to be. People that look at it as when you win, they win. Man, when the last time you had somebody celebrate you and they had nothing to do with it? Like that's the relationship. Those are the So listen, if the circle is small, that's okay. Because most of the times we, we don't really have the capacity for 50 friends. You don't have the capacity for that. The Bible says a friend that sticks closer than a brother. How many people can stick closer than a brother? That circle is going to be small. So don't be afraid because the circle is small. That means the circle is right. It's okay. Now, I don't want us to take that. I'm saying we should never be challenged. But may those who challenge us, challenge us for the purpose of seeing the destiny of God poured out of us. Not because of some insecurity on their own. Not because you, you share an idea or just what the Lord's been doing and you're like, well, I don't know. You see this market? Ooh, I don't think you should do that. Don't nobody start a business in a pandemic. Ooh, uh-uh, inflation? You might want to think twice about that. But the reality is they would say the same thing if everything was up. Because they have some insecurities of what they didn't do, and they try to project that onto you. Now, of course, there are people who have wisdom and discernment. And they've been somewhere that we're trying to go. We pay attention to that. But you got to surround yourself with people who are willing to see the purpose and the destiny of God pulled out of you. Have friends that move you towards purpose, not those who set you up for destruction. You don't have to take on the burden of your friends. Like, yo, that's your thing, but it's not my thing. We still cool, though, but that's just not how I rock. So what do you do? We're talking about check your circle. I would say this. Have people in your life that you're mentoring. Who is someone that you can invest in? Who's someone that you can pour into? Have somebody who's mentoring you, right? Because you never, every mentor needs a mentor. Every pastor needs a pastor. I got three of them, (laughs) right? You never age out of mentorship. So invite people into your life who are older than you, who are further along in life than you, who've been through some things that you have yet to get through yet. Let them be godly. You want them to have a biblical worldview. Don't just invite them into your life, but allow them to challenge you. Allow them to love you. Allow them to encourage you. Here's another observation. Check your space. So there's some moments where life, life just be lifing. <laughs> and the space you're at is just not suitable for you to flourish. There's pain, there's heartache, there's heartbreak. And sometimes it's a result of things 
that have happened to us that we didn't have a, a part in this. These things happened to us. But then other times, they're the result of situations that we've allowed ourselves to get in. And then there are some cases where God is allowing things to occur to get our attention. And sometimes he gets us to a space that we can't get to on our own, or at least that we were unwilling to. And this is what happened with Jonah. So in Jonah chapter 2, he's swallowed up by the fish. And inside that fish, he did what he should have done in the beginning. He prayed to the Lord, but he couldn't get there on his own, so the Lord helped him a little bit. Anybody ever needed a little nudge from the Lord? So he finds himself inside this fish, and he's praying, and all types of revelation is happening, and he, he's remembering who God is and what God has done and what the Lord wants to do. All in this dark moment. Family, sometimes it's the dark moments that allow you to see the light. Sometimes it's the painful moments of life that allow you to see the goodness of the Lord. Because oftentimes when we feel like we're on the mountaintop, we're, kind of, we're just going. But it's when that pain is there. It's when that hurt is there. It's when the moment is dark that we see the light. And I'm going to close with this as the keys come because that's going to make me stop. We're going to land this plane. Isolation with yourself leads to destruction. But isolation with God leads to breakthrough. See, when the trials and testing and trouble of life come, our natural response is to go into isolation. But it's in isolation that we get lost in our thoughts. It's the isolation that becomes the playground of the enemy. It's in isolation to ourselves where the lies of the enemy are amplified. This is why community is so important. And I recognize the state of where our world has been and pandemics and things of such. But community cannot just be defined to what is online. That there became a part in the pandemic where it wasn't about community, but it was about convenience. But sometimes when you choose convenience, it's choosing comfort, but comfort is causing you to miss out on the very thing that you need. Sometimes we, we just need to, to be close and we take our precautions and we do those things like we maybe should have done before, but we, we need this. This isn't everything, so hear that. But we need this. We need the community. We can't be isolated on our own. Now, when we isolate ourselves with God, that's where breakthrough happens. That's where change happens. Because of this truth, time with the Lord leads to revelation. See, when Jonah found himself in a space where it was just him and God, no distractions, no texts, no emails, no phone calls, none of that. It was just him and the Lord. It produced revelation. Here's a question. When was the last time you checked your space? When was the last time you got alone with God? 
and not just a car ride in, not just a few minutes before the Sunday morning gathering, but when was the last time you were intentional with your time with God? Because I think about Jesus and I look at his life. He always got away. You see that in scripture. He went away to pray. Now listen, I know all of us, we're busy, we're in demand, we've got soccer, we've got football, we've got basketball, we've got dance, we've got gymnastics, we've got the business, we've got the job, we've got family, we've got this activity, but none of us are busier than Jesus. None of us are in more demand than Jesus Christ, but yet he found time to go pray. Could it be that we're busy because we're missing what we need in the place of prayer? Could it be some of the answers that we need are already waiting on you if you would just go find them in the place of prayer? If you would go find them in your time alone with the Lord? So here's my challenge to us today. Find your mountain. Find that place that you can get to where there's no distractions. And I get it. I understand. It's hard. And I'm not going to say this to try to make myself sound some kind of way. I have to get up at 4 a.m. Because I know those kids are getting up at like 5 something. It's like, can I please just spend some time with the Lord? Don't y'all care about my walk with Jesus? I'm trying to lead y'all. I need to spend time with him to help you. I know those little steps going to be coming down the stairs. So I just I was like, I got to get up at 4 o'clock. It's not, it's not long. It's not this. It's not that. I just sit there. And I said, Father, here I am. And I spent a couple moments there in silence. Silence is weird, but we got to embrace it. Because sometimes it's when it's silent, you hear the voice of God the loudest. Ride in the car. I did this the other day. Most of I'm always looking for a podcast. I'm always looking for something. I felt like the Lord was like, no, just ride in silence. So the time is there. It's available. But we got to see the value in it. Because when Jonah did, he went to go preach to Nineveh. And he saw great revival. People were saved. And God spared Nineveh. I'm going to skip a whole bunch of notes for the sake of time today. But here's the thing that I want you to get. The fulfillment of your life's purpose hinges on the ability to make the necessary checks in life that will position you to fulfill your purpose. Check your walk. Check your circle. Check your space. And the observation that we getting, didn't get to this morning was check your cover. Meaning this, allow God's grace to cover you. Because it's in your moment of weakness that you can experience the strength of God. And many of us deny that power in our lives because we always feel like we got to be strong. I'm strong. Men, strength isn't feeling like you always never feel pain that you never hurt no it's okay I gotta go I'll stay there I gotta go but you gotta allow God's grace to cover you amen let's pray